Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Dear God, we continue in this posture of receiving and giving. The dynamic where you reveal who you are and whose we are so that we can, by the power of the Spirit and in full grace, respond in worship, pointing back to you and leaning into our design for our good and for your glory. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears afresh, open our eyes afresh, open our hands afresh and the things that we're holding on to, that you would guide us in wisdom and strength and unity and love. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, nearly every generation, every movement, every culture has a dominant question. There are a lot of questions that we tend to ask as human beings, but a dominant question that tends to capture most of our energy, most of our hopes, and the trajectory of our lives and our plans. And more and more people are noticing that with the wave of the next generation and the predominant movement of our culture as it is today, the dominant question most are asking is this. How do we be free? Whether it's personal goals, whether it's societal formation, cultural renewal, the obstacles that stand in the way, the things that are holding us back, how do we be free? And yet with this overarching desire that we might be more free in this pursuit of freedom, the irony is, is that we are becoming less free not more. Interestingly enough, uh, Mental Health America, which is the largest nonprofit organization that both assesses and pursues mental health here in the United States, their 2021 um, profile came out and it was not great, friends, okay? 
there were extraordinarily high rates of depression, anxiety, self-harm, ideation, and so on. And those rates are skyrocketing during COVID. Now, before you start putting all the blame, though, on COVID, I want to be very clear. These rates were beginning to skyrocket in 2020 pre-COVID. What COVID has done, just as a reminder, is not that it set new channels that changed the very trajectory of a river. What it's done is it's just made that river go faster and with stronger force. So this is a trend that's been around. It's just only escalated. And so if that's true, we all are asking this question, how do we be free? And yet we are wrestling with the realities, both internally and externally, that we are becoming less free, not more. What do we do? What do we do? Well, as we saw in scripture today, already within your hearing, we see that God's word actually sees freedom as a good thing. <laughs> we just heard it read for us. It's actually central to our happiness and our wholeness. Now, the difference, though, that we're going to come to see is that the strategy to experience that freedom is very different than the rest of the world will provide. The rest of the world will say this, that freedom is something that we make happen. But Scripture will actually present that it is something that happens more often than not to us. And it has everything to do with the Spirit. Now, if you're new, we are in week six of a six-week series where we're focusing on the biblical story of the Holy Spirit, the often overlooked third member of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and not Holy Scripture, but Holy Spirit. And what we see and have seen over these weeks is that he's not a figure who's on the sidelines, but is often right there at the tip of the spear of the work of what God is doing in the world. And today we're going to see something truly astounding. In this desire, this pursuit for freedom that encapsulates your life and mine, our collective life, we're going to see this. This is the big idea, the thesis for us this morning. Only the Spirit can free us. Only the Spirit can free us. If we want to know what it looks like to have a spirit Filled life. If we want to lean into the leading of the Spirit, these are common themes across the pages of Scripture, then we're going to experience the freedom that comes from the Spirit. Wherever you find true freedom, you find the Spirit at work. Wherever the Spirit is at work, we find true freedom. But I want to be very clear because this is the nature. Most of the time we talk past each other, not because we're using different words, but because we're using different dictionaries around those words. What is this freedom? <laughs> right? Because there is freedom we want and freedom we'd rather not have. There's a freedom we want. We often use the language of being set free. Something's holding you back from those desires, those goals, those dreams, and we're finally set free to pursue them, right? That's a good freedom. That's a freedom we want. There's a, a bad freedom. When a dog breaks free from its backyard and wreaks havoc on a neighborhood, that's a freedom, just speaking from experience, nobody wants. It's terrifying. Grab your kids, grab your wife. You know, like, that's the way we, we got to hide, that kind of freedom is destructive. And so the real question is, what kind of freedom does the Spirit bring? And this is crucial for our understanding to have good expectations as to what God actually does in our life and where we can hope and where we can be inspired and what we can look toward. So here's, if you want a little summary as to where we're going this morning, we're going to see three things. If you're a note taker, this might help you. Um, we're going to see what the Spirit frees us from. 
He's, he frees us from a particular motivation. Secondly, we're going to see what the Spirit frees us for. It's a totally different outcome. And then thirdly, we're going to get really practical on how we can lean more into the liberation of the Spirit. Does that sound good? All right, well, let's turn in our Bibles, if you haven't already, to Galatians chapter 5, beginning there in verse 13. And let me give you a little bit of context. Paul is extraordinarily annoyed in almost every one of his letters with these characters called false teachers. Now, what is it about these false teachers? If we want to use the the framework that we're talking with today, we actually see it across these letters. There are a bunch of false teachers who have an alternative or an alternative to freedom. And it goes something like this. If you want to be a really fully devoted follower of Jesus, if you want to be really free, then you need to actually embrace all of the Mosaic law. Yes, yes, Jesus, he died for your sins. But if you want to mature, if you want to know freedom, then you need to go back and embrace all of the Old Testament law, some of these cultural dynamics. So this is what it often looked like. So if you're a guy, get ready, circumcision. If you're a man or a woman, it's about eating kosher. In other words, it's about becoming and embodying culturally Jewish practices. In the Old Testament, there are moral codes, and then there are also cultural dynamics for the nation of Israel. And there are these false teachers who are saying, if you want to know real freedom, you need to embrace all of it. You need to become Jewish in order to be fully Christian and free. And the Apostle Paul says, now that Jesus has come, that framework is rubbish, which is a really nice translation of a word that Paul uses in another letter that I don't really like to use the explicit word that he uses, okay? So what we see actually is that our freedom doesn't come from the old law and obeying all the jots and diddles of the old law. Instead, it is given to us by the Spirit through faith in Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Explicit. Right there. Now, I want to be also very clear that the Apostle Paul does not demonize the law. He's not like, man, this is the worst thing since whatever. Um, I don't know. Think of your worst thing. Why, why? I don't know your worst thing. I've got some worst things, but I won't share mine. But whatever it is, he doesn't say the law is like the worst thing in the world. Instead, he has a framework of the law that's similar to training wheels, okay? Do you remember that when you're learning to ride the bike and you had those like protruding, like, yeah, two side wheels that helped you learn balance until you could finally ride the bike on your own? The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, God designed the law as a good thing that actually helped us stay upright until the Holy Spirit was to come and embody us. And the goal is that you actually go further than the law. The Mosaic law sought to minimize destruction, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's it. Don't go further. (laughs) And then what do we see with the law of Christ? Turn the other cheek. I love it when people are like, hey, we got to go back to this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's like, no, no, not if you're a follower of Jesus. The law of Christ takes us further and farther. And see what the, what, the, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, the law was good for a season, but now that the Spirit has come, he indwells within us. And it's almost like the internalized balance to stay upright. The goal is now not to get rid of the training wheel so that you can grovel on the ground and ride sideways. The goal is to still stay upright. But now you can go through more difficult terrain. You can go further. Can you imagine if everybody in the Tour de France still wore training wheels? 
<laughs> it just makes for a great video idea, to be very clear. But it's absolutely absurd, right? I even think with my daughter, Ava, you know, you know, when she was learning to ride her bike, she was terrified about taking off the training wheels because it's, it's scary. It's like, oh, it's comfortable. I kind of got used to this. I don't have to figure out how the balance and even turn. And I was like, but you don't know what you're giving up. And so we took off the training wheels and it took us a couple days, a couple falls, a couple scrapes and bruises, but eventually she got the balance down and it was what? Look, dad, look, the joy on her face. And we could now travel those urban sidewalks that look more like trail runs than like <laughs> suburban, you know, nice cut. It's like, woo! <laughs> you know, now you can because you don't have training wheels, right? That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit is the internalized balance to keep you upright and actually help you go further, farther. Don't go back to that. That's what he has in store for us. Now, I know some, for some of us, you may hear this and be like, man, I'm not really tempted to go back to the Mosaic Law. That's not my bag, all right? This may feel really like an antiquated kind of conversation for you. It's kind of like for second-generation immigrants talking to first-generation immigrants. You know, if you're a second-generation immigrant kid, like, and you walk into a room with two parents talking and they're arguing about the house in the home country, did they sell pigeons or chickens? You're like, I don't care. Like, what does this have to do with me? Well, there is a ton of relevance to this particular passage for you and for me today. And the first one is actually around the Mosaic Law. I know some of you feel like this isn't a thing, but there probably will come a day where you're going to come across a YouTube video or a Facebook thread or an Insta picture or something along those lines that's going to say, hey, if you want to be really mature, you actually have to become fully Jewish and you've got to follow all these particular practices. You've got to start eating kosher. Jesus actually didn't abolish that. Everybody who really wants to follow Jesus needs to become Jewish like Jesus. And then they're going to make all these argumentations. But listen, that is not the biblical narrative before us. So if that is a part of your journey in the past, if that's a part of your journey in the present, it will be maybe a question you possibly have in the future. Listen, the biblical narrative, if you follow Acts, all the way up to Acts 15, is that there is a whole council that understands that there is now a diversity of cultures, but a similar ethic at the center of the people of God. It's not centered in the nation of Israel. It's centered in a people on the King Jesus who was the true Israelite. And now everybody who is found in him is in the true and everlasting Israel. That is what we see in the text. There's not like the Jewish way to heaven and now the Jesus way to heaven. There's just Jesus. And that will include Jews. Those part of my heritage is Jewish heritage. That, that, but that all comes down to whether you bow the knee to Jesus, not if you eat kosher. So that's just a side note. <laughs> but there's a deeper thing that's going on here that, that's even more true to who we are as just as human beings. And it's this. When it comes to this topic of freedom, it's the idea that's ingrained. And it may not be true for everybody. So I want to be clear. So this may be for a subset. But I'm sure it's true for a lot of us. I know it's true for me. Is that wrestling through, oftentimes we think freedom comes from a lot of hard work. Freedom comes from a lot of hard work, such that when you feel unlovable, when you feel unworthy, when you feel unfulfilled, one of almost the knee-jerk responses if, is if I just work a little harder, if I just put in a couple more hours of that project, if I just get a little better at, fill in the blank, then God will love me, and then I'll be free. Free. 
And what we have is this deep conviction that's internalized that somehow our freedom is earned. It's something that we finally work hard enough to finally receive the fruits of. And even if you don't say it out loud, it may be so internalized, you may be so busy working for it, you're not even aware that that's the narrative dominating your heart. And how do you know if you're living in this framework, okay? Well, there's a deep belief that God's perspective of you fluctuates based upon how, you good, how good you did today. And, you know, and, and how do you know if that's there? <laughs> it's like, keep taking off the layers of the onion. Well, if your joy fluctuates in the day based upon how good you did at whatever hard work you felt like you needed to do, such that you oscillate between this is the best day ever. Why? Because you worked really hard and the fruit of your work came to fruition and you got to experience that. Oh, it's the best day ever or to the worst day ever. I kept failing. I kept failing. Nobody really wants to work with me. God surely can't love me. And you may not even be able to explicitly say all of that, but the level of pity you go into or the level of pride and the way that you oscillate back and forth reveals that you believe you earn your freedom. And you've got to understand, in terms of expectations, sometimes we go to God, if that's our framework, our motivation, and we come asking God of something. And one thing that we might ask is like, God, just I'm tired of failing here. Just make me perfect. Help me. Just help me to not fail here anymore. And what we're really asking is for God to give us crutches that we're not aware of so that we can walk our way to freedom. And then what happens is if God does indeed answer that prayer is that we don't become more intimate with him and more whole human beings. We become more entitled because we think we walked our way across the finish line. Look at this. Look what I've done. And God does not want to make entitled human beings because we don't want to stand with ours. Whenever you're with someone who just is blatantly entitled, they may not even be aware of it. It's like, man, this is not a great coffee. How do I get out of this? And God doesn't want you to be that kind of person. Instead, he wants to give us a whole new motivation. It's not just about outcomes. It's about what drives us. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in all of this. This is why he's so frustrated with these false teachers because he understands that the Spirit frees us from earning there's no more tally system in which if we finally just do enough, we can finally stand in that liberated space because we've worked hard enough. Look with me back at Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. The Apostle Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, he's saying, listen, did you jump through enough hoops? Did you finally obey enough that God was like, all right, I see you there, friend. Here's your freedom. Here's the spirit. No, we receive the spirit of freedom by faith, by trusting in what God has done for us through Jesus and by surrendering to King Jesus that he indeed has the best for us. That's how we received freedom in the first place. And so hear me, if you didn't earn it, then you can't unearn it. That's the other gift. Even on your best day, when you feel like God might love you more, he still loves you the same. <laughs> he loves you the absolute most he possibly can, which is a whole lot. Even on your worst day, when nothing seemed to be going your way, and frankly, you were helping it fail, <laughs> God still loves you the same. No more, no less. 
He frees us by the power of the Spirit, by the very nature on how we receive the Spirit. He frees us from earning. And, And not only this, okay? So not only does He free us then from this destructive motivation that constantly then empowers us to want to destroy others in order to lift ourselves up and so on. He doesn't just free us from this destructive motivation and leave us now to wander It's like, okay, I'm freed from earning. Now what do I do? Um, No, he gives us a north star as to what he frees us for. And for that, look with me here at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 again. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To go from earning to freedom. And specifically, the Spirit not only frees us from earning, but for giving. A whole generous posture Freed because we have received the unconditional love of God mediated by the Spirit in the depths of our heart. And now by the power of the Spirit, that love is enabled to overflow through us and actually empower us to actually act for one another in service. It's a generous posture and a generous outcome. That's, ex- that's absolutely astounding. Now, there's a lot of different definitions out there for what is loving, right? Some people will do really terrible things and say, I was doing it because I love you. There are a lot of different definitions as to what is generosity. Some things I don't want to receive generously, um, right? And how do we find our way? Well, as followers of Jesus, we understand that the Spirit of God reveals through the Word of God the direction for your life and mine, Correct? If we feel a nudge by the Spirit to go in a direction and it is completely in, in, uh, in contradiction to the text, that ain't the Spirit of God. Beware, that is a tool for discernment. Allow the Spirit of God to either affirm the work of the Spirit in your life or to clarify that that is not the Spirit of God at all. The Word of God is our touchstone, the litmus test also for understanding how the Spirit is leading if it feels questionable. And here's the deal. If we want to know what this giving looks like, what this love looks like, it's helpful to go the via negativa, what it is not. And, and, and Paul makes it very clear what this giving is not. He says it is not the flesh. Now, last week we talked about, hey, this is coming. Well, now it's here, okay? This distinction between the spirit and the flesh. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to verse 16 of chapter 5. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. But I say, walk by the Spirit. So that's the first thing. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are those? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, it's like this isn't new news. It's not like it's changed since the last time we talked. 
that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't feel God's presence at work with, when these become habits, they become the form of life, the ways in which you actually engage one another. So this flesh is not what we are freed for. We're freed for giving. This is in contradiction to this giving posture. Now, flesh is not necessarily exclusively talking about this thing right here, okay? So it's not talking about our bodies exclusively as if one day we'll be freed from our bodies and when we're in heaven, do you like it? Freed from our bodies, then we will finally be these disembodied souls and finally be able to pursue those ethereal desires rather than these fleshy desires. No, 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 no. Flesh is more of a technical term across the biblical narrative that highlights a whole host of things like sinful desires that are disordered, loves that are disordered, habits that are destructive, ideologies that capture whole groups of people, systems and structures that may indeed finally come to impact our bodies because why? Our bodies keep score. If you engage in a destructive practice for long enough, you actually have to war against your body to choose a good practice. This is what we often call addiction, where your body got so used to that destructive desire and outcome that it takes a ton of work, indeed, to actually pursue a different path. You're fighting your body even in that, right? So, that's what that's encapsulating. It can involve a whole host of things, but it's not merely our bodies. And when we receive the redemption of our bodies and the coming of Christ and our glorification, then finally all that brokenness that we even continue to war within our bodies will be made whole with him. Now, some will say, hey, Gabe, it's a nice little list there. Um, but does God really care about some of these things? <laughs> I mean, some of these things feel a little smaller. Some feel a little bigger. And here's what I'm going to say. God is so zealous for your and my freedom that there is no small thing because he wants freedom to be experienced in every aspect of your life and mine. So these works of the flesh the apostle Paul called or has called are, are avenues of enslavement, although they are dangled and promoted as freedom. So let's look at it. There's two broader categories of these. The first is indulgence of like every sort, right? There are certain, just certain practices that have a vice grip on humanity regardless of cultural differences and time. And sexual promiscuity of any and every sort outside of a marriage between one man and one woman, they just, <laughs> there is no framework within scripture to say, hey, that's freedom. Actually, those are works of the flesh. Secondly, drunkenness or substance abuse that actually decreases our inhibitions and engages us in practices and actions that we know better. But we're taking these substances that give us this liquid courage or what have you to engage practice that ultimately leaveth, leave us with regret the next day. You're like, oh man, did I do that? Oh, geez, Louise, what was I thinking? You weren't because we took substances or we were engaged in substances that obliterated those inhibitions. And then simultaneously, there are certain kinds of parties. Yeah, gatherings where people are together that just dehumanize each other. And um, none of that is freedom. The Apostle Paul is very clear. Those particular kinds of actions, they rob you of intimacy, they obliterate any sort of self-care or self-control, and they eventually become an avenue of enslavement. So that's the first group. And usually as religious people, we're like, yeah, yeah, I know. But then there's the second group, 
um, that's much more subtle and much more respectable, right? Enmity. What's enmity? That's like a, just a personality of hostility. You just like chafe people the wrong way everywhere you rub anybody. You're just like, you know, it's like, oh man. Idolatry. That's even when you put a really good thing and you make it the ultimate thing of your life as the primary trajectory in how you navigate your life rather than Jesus. Sorcery. I think we can, I think we're, we're clear on that. That doesn't even feel like a respectable or subtle one. But at the same time, there is what? Strife. There are fits of anger. So there's certain kind of anger that the Apostle Paul says, be angry and do not sin. So don't demonize anger. But there are certain kinds of fits of anger that actually bring about destruction or abuse. There's rivalries, dissensions, divisions. I mean, in many ways, you're like, well, that just sounds like community. <laughs> and there's a part of me that was like looking for Paul's caveat where he's like, hey, these aren't as big of a deal, but I'm going to throw these in there too, just so that we all feel guilty. No! He's saying all of these. He actually doesn't put a hierarchy here. He just says, these are the works of the flesh. And they're going to destroy you. And religious people, we really love the second group of, of sins. And we kind of even sometimes glorify them. And then we follow people who embody them, who have particular power or what have you. And then what happens is we become these kinds of folks constantly pursuing strife, constantly just a person of enmity or, or, you know, constantly rubbing up against each other in, in raging ways. And honestly, this is a big reason why whenever a community becomes defined by these things because we think we're following a really great leader or whatever because they're a really powerful person, fill in the blank to whatever leader you're thinking of, it's usually why the next generation that grows up in that church says, I don't want anything to do with it. And listen, we saw a lot of people throughout COVID across a lot of different churches who left a lot of different churches, sent angry emails, and there are good reasons to leave a church, and there are a lot of bad reasons to leave a church. But what we're going to see again and again when we ignore this is that you'll find yourself leaving church after church after church until finally you're just like, I'm done and then you find that sermon on a YouTube channel that you click on every now and then in order to affirm your hobbies rather than to actually grow in life. But that isn't freedom. You have definitely found freedom from others and freedom from cost of community, but that isn't freedom. We're becoming a kind of person. And why do we do this? Because these desires, these works of the flesh, they're insatiable. They make us desperate. We can't stop once we've started. The longer you're in them, they don't become one-off experiences. They become who we are. That is the nature. Sin does this. It's like when you're at the beach and you're just kind of swimming in the shallow end. This is how I swim, if you're ever curious. <laughs> You're swimming in the shallow end and then suddenly you like look up and the current has taken you way farther out and you realize only way too late, I'm exhausted. And you're like, oh my goodness, can I swim back? That's what sin does. That's what these works of the flesh do. They make extraordinary promises until finally they take your life. It's not freedom. But I gotta move on. Here we go. All right. The flesh is anything but giving. It's defined by taking. It's me first personally or mine first, whether it be your ethnic group, your nationality, your culture first. It comes with a posture of you better give me what I demand and I'm not going to give you anything. It's about your comfort, your, your pleasure, your timeline. And if that's the freedom you want, 
If that's the freedom you're experiencing, that's not freedom, and it's definitely not the freedom the Spirit brings. That is the flesh. You see, the Spirit has come to give us a freedom from earning, but then forgiving. And whenever you're engaged in the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh, that's exhausting. You, be, you become a worksaholic, right? <laughs> but whenever the Spirit is alive, alive in you, He doesn't produce works, He produces fruit. There's something really important that the Apostle Paul is doing there in terms of wordplay that's really, really significant. And we're gonna look at a couple of those distinctions, but look with me first at verses 22 through 23. The Apostle Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, here we go, there is no law. (laughs) Once again, he's not demonizing the old law. He's just like saying, hey, there's more to go. And that's where the Spirit wants to take us, is an even greater wholeness than even the law can take us. So let me look at just a couple distinctions between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit ever so quickly. The works of the flesh are instant, instant gratification. The fruit of the Spirit is gradual. And we miss that because we can go to the grocery store and get any fruit out of season we want due to the globalization of our markets. But when this was written in the first century, it's like, hey man, I want an apple. Well, you gotta wait till June, you know? Unless you've got some dried fruit around. Ooh, yummy. But instead, it takes time, cultivation. It may take a minute before real good fruit comes to bear. Another good distinction is that the works of the flesh are easily present, where sometimes the fruit of the Spirit is hard to notice. Another is that the works of the the flesh, rather, they promise freedom. And there's extraordinary pleasure at the beginning. But then over time... They take away more and more of your freedom until you're an addict and become a slave to whatever it might be. There's a lot of different addictions. There are some real popular ones we talk about in our culture, but there's a lot of different kinds of addictions. Whereas the fruit of the Spirit is something that actually is very painful at the beginning, but slowly provides freedom. And it creates, the Spirit is creating you into a kind of person, not just giving you an experience. This is some of the most important work that the Spirit of God is doing. Do you see these characteristics that he's developing? Someone that no matter your external circumstances, he's making you a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Don't you want friends like that? I know I'm like, man, on my friend resume, I'm like, man, I want that person. And yet then we choose the works of the flesh, hoping that people stick around. We want community, but on our terms. And the Spirit's like, no, it's not just about you. It's about the community I'm cultivating. I want, you to, I want to make you into the kind of person you really want, even though you don't want to work for it. <laughs> because we can't in many ways. So what's the biggest distinction between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? The works of the flesh is something that you do, chasing after your desires, where the fruit of the Spirit is something that only the Spirit does through you, chasing God's desires for you. Only the Spirit can free us. And only, and listen, the Spirit, He longs to free us from earning forgiving. So if that's true, how do we do this? Let's end with some practical notes here. How do we grow in the liberation and the freedom of the Spirit? Here it is. If you want to experience more of the Spirit's freedom, 
Let the Spirit lead you into service to others. That is the path of freedom. The Spirit will not lead you into utter isolation for the rest of your life. That's actually not the best avenue, according to Galatians here, towards freedom. And you can't do it by yourself. If you just read your Bible and pray, you could still become a very deformed religious person. Look with me, Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. There is a tried and true path that has been etched throughout the whole biblical narrative for those who have an intimate relationship with God and experience the freedom that God has for us. And it is not done in isolation. It's not done with avoiding institutional connection. It's not done by just chasing yourself in isolation from all others. You see, instead, it's the whole of law we saw here is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you what? Love one another. And it's not that that's actually a new command, but now the bar is set that much higher because Jesus embodies what he actually means. And he goes to the cross, not only just for his friends, but his enemies, such that this servant spirit becomes the, a whole new level of just caring for one another rather than conceit, rather than envy, rather than provoking one another as to who's worthy of my service. No, a servant goes and serves those around them. It's a whole new framework. And so when you embrace Jesus, what God and Christ has done for you, and you embrace him as your king, he gives you his spirit, and only the spirit can free you. And when the spirit frees you, he frees you from earning this distorted motivation towards a different outcome of giving. And so the question I have for you today is, are you keeping in step with the spirit and freedom? I'm going to give you just a couple questions to kind of till the soil here, or signs rather that you're on the right path. Just a couple questions. Think about these. Do your daily actions and interactions seek to extract from others for your wants or pursue the good of others out of love? When asked to help, do you ask, why me? Or do you ask, why not me? Do you look to lift others up or promote yourself in conversations? Do you stir up gossip or speak life in friend groups? I mean, these are just a couple questions to ask, what is your posture? What is the Spirit of God doing? How are you answering these? Because <coughs> if you want to grow, we need to understand that we are freed from earning, but we're simultaneously not freed from Spirit-empowered effort. We can till the soil, but only the Spirit gives growth. I like the way that J.I. Packer brilliantly quotes. He says, the Christian's motto should not be, let go and let God, but trust God and get going. <laughs> And he's a very solid Protestant gentleman who believes that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So here's a couple questions that maybe that can help till, or, um, till the soil of your heart a little bit and provide a space for the Spirit to work. Maybe you ask these questions daily. Maybe you ask them weekly. But here we go. Here's just a couple examples. What out-of-the-way good can you do for someone else today? Number two, how are you showing up on Monday? Are you ready to serve? Are you expecting to be served the moment you walk into the room? Are you working with family, friends, peers, church members, and professionals to create healthy personal rhythms of service? 
So we see an action on a particular day. We see a posture when you walk into the room. Both of those are really important. You can have actions and a terrible posture and nobody will listen to you. <laughs> that doesn't help. And it's also about healthy rhythms, engagement and withdrawal. And you want to know the quick litmus test? I'm almost done. Hang with me. Quick litmus test. Here's how you'll feel. Feelings are important. You may feel more like death, but over time, taste more freedom. See, this doesn't mean you're going to have a specific job that always is, quote unquote, leading volunteers. You don't have to change jobs. This may not mean that you're actually volunteering more. It may mean that. Rather, it goes from always endlessly serving in order to earn freedom to now being a servant because you have been accepted and out of generosity and gratitude can allow the spirit to empower you to care for others. And it may be painful. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have what? Crucified the desires and the passions of the flesh. That doesn't feel always great. But he's making us into a kind of person that even if you don't love your job on Monday, even if you're having difficulties with a certain friend, even if your marriage is on the rocks, even though if you have some schism between your children, you can show up this kind of person by the power of the Spirit over time as someone who's loving, who's patient, who's kind, who's gentle, who's faithful who's got self-control. That's the kind of work that the Spirit wants to do. That Doesn't that sound like freedom? That no matter what's going on around you, you can be the person God's called you to be in that space by the power of the Spirit. That's extraordinary freedom. And that's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. And really, that's what the Spirit does. He gives us the freedom we really long for. You see, the rest these strategies for freedom, they'll offer you a world, but it'll cost you your soul. And at the end, you may get everything you want, but you won't even know who you are. But here, Jesus, we see, and God the Father and the Spirit work together to give us their world, that they might not only save our souls, but throw the world in, in the end. You see, only the Spirit can free us, and He frees us from earning this distorted motivation for giving a wholly new outcome if we but lean into serving one another. Now, I give you a warning as we close. If you're wanting a different kind of freedom from God, beware. You probably won't get it from him. And it's not because he's disappointed you. It's because you don't know what he's about, which is so much bigger than we often come to him asking for. And maybe, just maybe, we have not because we ask not. And with a clarity as to what God wants to bring in your life and mine, we can ask better. We can lean into the gift of the Spirit and we can yield to him along the tried and true path of the cross and service one toward another. And then, maybe just then, know a deeper freedom that breaks in now and will be known in the full when he returns. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, I just come pleading grace. Because <laughs> I want to be this kind of person and we know our own cracks the most, and I'm so grateful that I don't have to earn your love, I don't have to earn your engagement in my life, but you're already pursuing me. Help us now to surrender to you afresh, to be washed over by your grace and your mercy that is new every morning, and may we lean into the practices and the habits 
that are cultivating our hearts for the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do in bringing about this transformation of who we are, both individually and communally. God, we need you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen.